0: Hello and welcome to today's show guys. Today we have a great guest, Whitney Elkins Hutton. Whitney, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for asking.
0: Uh, That's good to hear. Whitney, so today we're going to kind of be talking about a mixture of things. Right now you're in charge of investors education and relations at your current company, PassiveInvesting.com, correct? Correct.
1: Yeah, I actually have a uh, partner in crime, Andrew Davis, who does the investor relations and investor services, um, the entire investor experience. And so my responsibility is the education piece. But I, uh, you know, before um, at a previous equity firm, I was the director of investor relations and operations. And so I'm very versed in the space.
0: Okay, I see. And so kind of tell us more about your background and how you ended up where you're at now.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, where I'm at now is not where I thought I was going to be. That was, (laughs) that was not uh, what I dreamed of uh, to be when I was like six years old. Anyways, I started off real estate investing in 2002, completely by accident. I bought a house with a significant other and about a month after it closed, the relationship fell apart and I had a house and all of the bills were in my name, the mortgage, the insurance, taxes, everything, including all the utilities. And I was scared. Like, what do I do? <laughs> I, I, um, I had borrowed 103% in order to close on the house. Yes, this was back in the wild, wild west of lending. And I was just like, I got to be able to pay the bills on this property. So I stuffed it full of roommates who didn't mind living in a construction zone because I had to get rid of the green shag carpet and the psychedelic 60 flowers that were painted all over the walls <laughs> in order to execute my business plan on the property. And fast forward 11 months later, I probably committed my number one mistake in real estate is I actually sold the house rather than keeping holding on to it. But nonetheless, that was when I was bitten by the bug. Um, I walked away with a 52k profit. But more importantly, I hadn't been paying for any of those expenses that I was so terrified of along the way. Um, if anything, I've been putting money in my pocket. And I had done it completely with other people's money. Now, honestly, I didn't know what exactly I'd done and how cool of a process that was. And I didn't know it was in investment strategy that a lot of real estate investors actually execute repeatedly. That took me a few years to figure out. But after that, I was like, how many more of these projects can I do? So I did a few more together, or excuse me, by myself, and then several together with my husband, and they're called Fix and Flip and Live and Flips now. And we would house hack where we could, you know, bring in a roommate, um, you know, for a few months, whenever we could to offset our bills, have somebody else pay for him. And then about 10 years later, we ha- smacked ourselves in the, in the head because we were like, how did people retire off of real estate? I mean, it just, there wasn't any consistent income coming in for us. We were still had the golden handcuffs with our job. And so that's when we, again, smacked ourselves in the head and we were like, oh, we need to hold on to these properties and figure out how to get them to cash flow with tenants in them. And so if anybody knows me, I, once I latch on to an idea, I'm, I'm off to the races. I, I'm gone. And so in the next year and a half, after making that critical move with our portfolio, Um, I acquired 30 single family properties out of state, combining our flipping skills and refinance strategies to pull as much capital out of them as we could. So we had very little of our own money in the properties. And then we were still flipping wherever we could. But then we had our next level of achievement. All I had done was created another job for myself. Um, And again, still didn't have that financial independence or freedom, didn't have that time freedom, didn't have that choice freedom or location freedom. And anyways, then that's when I stumbled onto passive real estate that I could actually invest in somebody else's business and they do the work. Um, And then I get to share in the profits. And so uh, we transitioned to commercial real estate. We were still buying commercial real estate on our own. We bought a 52 unit building with some partners, but then we were also taking our proceeds from our single family rentals and scaling up passively through passive real estate.
0: First off, wow. Wow. You really did end up in this accidentally. And I do have to comment, I loved your creativity with your first rental house. How you thought it was gonna be this, but it turned out into something completely different.
1: I thought I was buying my forever home with with a soon to be partner in life. And then little did I know I was gonna have to figure out how to like scrape to gather every last penny to, you know, pay the bills. And uh, anyways, it, but I, I'm so thankful for the experience. It opened so many doors for me. No,
0: and I can imagine. I actually, my, I had a rent house for a while and this was back in 2020 and I remember it. So originally I had gotten this house a good deal, bought it under market, and I had four roommates I was trying to move it in with. I was doing what you ended up doing. I wanted to do that so I can kind of build my first investment property. However, I was on a flight leaving the country thinking I got my roommates lined up. Everything's looking up. I come back to the country to find out the whole world shut down in a pandemic. Not only that, my four roommates, all of them lost their jobs during the time I was gone. And so I'm stuck with a house. I have no more roommates. And I had to figure out what to do. And I learned why in real estate investing, there are the three terrible T's, taxes, termites, and tenants, and had to learn quickly about real estate investing. And I made the same mistake you did. Instead of just really holding on to it, I ended up selling it. It's just interesting how we end up in some place in a position we never thought we would end up, but ended up working out a lot better than we could have imagined.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah, the whole... You know, we we had that kind of second inflection point in our portfolio, wanting to to scale. You know, we had these thirty single family rentals. I had a baby at home. We had a baby at home. <laughs> it takes two to tango, right? Um, but anyways, I, I also was taking care of my grandparents. I was the guardian over my grandparents. My mom had failing health, and I just you know the whole point of us building this portfolio is so we could spend more time with family and friends and do whatever we want, whoever, with whoever we want, whenever we want it. Right. That's the whole point of financial freedom. And I was like, why don't we take some of this money and actually start investing in ourselves our life right now and make it easier. So I wanted to step away from my day job a little bit. And my husband was so supportive of that. However, when he saw the numbers, he was like, holy cow, you did that. And he was like, I want some of that. I'm like, I have not plan for that. <laughs> Um, I was, and I did the quick calculation in my head. I'm like, that's a total of 80 single family homes. And, um, I was pleased. I was excited that he was full on on board with me. And at the same time, I was terrified because it was, we, we have to figure out how to scale a different way. And that's when we decided that we needed to go into larger transactions, more units with each transaction, you know, just for the sake of our own sanity. But also that requires a whole new set of skills. We had to learn how to, you know, find partners, active partners, passive partners. We had to learn how to renegotiate or like uh, find different brokers, different property management, different types of lending. And so that's really what kind of took me into the commercial space. And, you know, I worked in private equity for a few years. And uh, then like you, COVID happened and it just flipped our lives upside down again for us in a very positive way. Um, we realized all these things that we wanted, that we thought we were working for when we we're 60 and retired. You know, we could actually have that now: the location independence, the the uh, the freedom of choice, of how we spent spend our time. And that's where we've really started. You know, continue to build out our portfolio in an active manner, but also, you know, you know continue on, uh, you know, on passive partnerships. It's one of my, you know, one of the reasons why I'm here at passiveinvesting.com.
0: Interesting. And that's kind of what leads us to this kind of next question. You kind of talk about investing into these syndications, being passively investing. And so kind of tell us a little bit more about that and what goes into just investing into these opportunities.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So here's how I try to educate people on it, because, you know, most people and I'll speak for myself, we weren't brought up to learn how to evaluate investments, let alone set our own investing goals, right? We might sit down with our Ameritrade or Vanguard advisor, and they say, "When do you want to retire? How much money do you want to have?" And then all of a sudden, they create this huge plan for us, right? And, and they ask the question, "What is your investment risk?" You're like, you know, and you have like three points you can choose on a graph, you know, out of five data points, they've somehow come up with a magical plan for us they take control away from us, but they also, we subjugate our, our responsibility for how those investments do. Now, that was how I was raised. So this was a very different path for me to go down getting into real estate is I had to take all that control back. I was in charge of my own destiny. I was the captain of my ship for better or for worse. And so I needed to get very familiar with the terminology. Um, how, how the investments work, what, and moreover, just back it up. What are my goals? What do I need for my portfolio? And so when we talk about syndications, really what I try to help people do is it's a way to invest passively, kind of like the stock market, but you're far more active on you know, taking charge of your investment goals, understanding your investment risk and what kind of business plans that an operator may have that align with that risk you're in charge of finding the right operators that are going to you know t- you know guard your money as if it's your money not theirs and then you're you're in charge of finding the right markets and then the right deals that's but again part of that other training you know when i talk about the traditional stocks bonds mutual funds we're trained to get focused on the yield the numbers at the end what are the returns and i see so many investors jump to that end what are the returns What is the preferred return? What is the back end split on the deal? And really, that's not the case either. It's, you know, when you go into syndication, you're investing in a business. And so who is the operator? The operator is the operator of the business. And that you're betting on the jockey, not the horse. So you need to, you know, understand how to underwrite the operator very efficiently as well. So put a little bow on it. When we get into syndication deals, it's really a simple six, seven step process. We can dive down any of these rabbit holes. One, you got to understand your investing goals. Two, you need to know your risk. Three, we need to be able to vet the operators, the markets, and then the deals. And then, you know, the remaining steps are actually physically, like, how do you fill out the legal paperwork and transfer money?
0: And actually, I want to touch a little bit on each of those topics. First, I want to kind of touch on risk tolerance. So in past episodes, we've talked to a portfolio manager uh, Broadway Investor, they all have brought up at some point risk tolerance, like what? how much risk are you willing to take? And your experience, how can an investor really determine what their risk tolerance is and how much they're willing to take on?
1: Right. So this goes back to step number one, understanding your goals. So what do you need from your portfolio? Do you need cash flow, equity growth, Capital preservation. You know, maybe you're close to retirement and you can't risk losing any sort of principal. Do you need tax benefits? Did you just sell some real estate? Did you sell a business and you need tax benefits to offset? Um, do you just need diversification out of the market? Are you done with the market entirely? You know, so those are the things you need to understand from your portfolio. And the reason why it's really under—you need to understand what you need and what you want and what your goals are is because that then in turn will feed what kind of business plan risk that you can and should take. So case in point, for me, I'm a cash flow investor. I'm you know in the accumulation part of my portfolio, so I need equity. But how I want to structure my portfolio is I want it to cash flow today. If I have a development deal that's presented in front of me, even though I might love the 20, 30, 40% returns that development deal might have, that's very risky. It has zero cash flow. It doesn't align with my goals. Okay, and I, that's the part that I see most investors get in trouble, is that they don't fully understand their goals, and they start getting investing in business plans that they don't understand, maybe at all, but also that they don't understand that they're disconnected from their goals. So understand your goals. Now we under it informs like what kind of business plans we can invest in, and then there's also the type of asset, right? If we're talking multifamily assets right now, multifamily. You know, it's, the asset prices are pretty high. I would love to see assets that cash flow a little bit now, have some, you know, built-in leverage for equity growth, we get the tax benefits from them, we've got cash flow. I am not in favor of assets that have huge development risk right now because I might be buying that land and paying for the materials at the height of pricing. And I'm gonna make, you know, 18 months from now, two, two years from now when that business plan is done. We don't know what my pricing is going to be. I can't project that where we are in the cycle very well. You know, that leads us into the four types of kind of business plans. We've got our core business plans. Okay. These are ones where you just buy something that's stabilized, that doesn't really need much. You know, you just got to keep up with the CapEx and maintenance on it. That's it, right? These are probably tend to be your more recent bills in the past 10 years. Then you're going to have your core plus assets. Maybe you're buying from a developer and you have an opportunity to continue a lease up on the property. Maybe it's a 15, 20-year-old property. Have a little bit of um, you know, uh, updating of colors and landscaping. Maybe convert a tennis court into a pickleball court because that's the in thing right now. That would be like a core plus plan. And then you got your more value add type plans which are the darling child, think of these as your rehab plans. You're still not getting into development, you know, heavy deferred maintenance, but you have your plans here that um, maybe you're turning over a little bit of the tenant community. You're, you're maybe doing dealing with a little bit more maintenance on the property, flooring, carpet, paint, you know, wholesaling the cabinets and the fixtures in the property just to kind of give it an updated feel. You know, those tend to happen on your properties that are 20 to 30 years old. Um, and then things that are older than that probably have some sort of development component to them. You're dealing with roofs and sewers, maybe galvanized piping that you're having to replace throughout, or you're doing ground up construction. So obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, strike that. The ones that are um, riskier that have more of a development component, one would, would expect that they have a higher return. Okay, But if you can't tolerate that, that shouldn't be in your portfolio. And so that's really how I help people kind of orient to risk is what are their goals? You know, what, uh, what do they need from their portfolio and what kind of business plan fits with that? Now there's another piece in here that you have to understand is the timeline. Okay. What kind of timeline you're deploying money into an asset that is illiquid. Okay. Multifamily, self-storage, car washes, hotels. Those are the things that we do at passiveinvesting.com. You know, when you deploy your capital, you know, we try to help our investors understand that it's going to be deployed for three to seven years. Our sweet spot is five. So you need to understand what your timeline is, too, your time horizon, whatever you, whenever you need your capital back. If you need your capital back in 18 months, you know, that that's probably you're going to have to take more risk to get your capital back quicker.
0: I want to start off. I just love how you brought into the goal part that it's more than just about how much money you want to make. You have to look deeper and figure out what are your real goals? Like, are you wanting to maintain your wealth, grow it? Are you looking for tax benefits? What exactly are you looking for? A lot of people I've met are always just like, well, I'm just investing to I want to make some money. But yes, we all want to make money. But why are you wanting to invest in this? Why? Do you want to invest? Are you looking to retire early? Are you looking to just make a quick buck? You really have to gauge and figure out why I'm investing this and does it make sense for me to invest in this? People are often just either following the crowds or just doing, like you said, they're kind of what they're told by financial advisors. They're just showing like, oh, do this, this and that and you'll get there.
1: Well, that I mean, I would, I would hope, you know, people have already kind of answered in the head The number one question is, do you believe in real estate as an asset class? Because if you don't, don't invest in it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I mean, maybe I skipped in a, a first step there. But how many people, I mean, uh, go into the stock market and, and they say that I will never invest in oil and gas because of X, Y, and Z. And then they, if they actually understood what was in their mutual fund, they would see probably 10 to 15% of that mutual fund is allocated to oil and gas, right? Um, you as an investor, when you get into private equities and private placement, you actually get to make those tangible decisions. Somebody else is not making those for you. So it can be income alignment. It can be a values alignment. You know, another thing you know for, for people to really consider is, you know, what do they want to do like that? Why? Like, what do they want to grow with their portfolio? I and mean, a lot of people get into private equities for multi-generational wealth because the tax benefits are so good on these assets, right? The IRS is our partner, and it's not that they're giving the investor free money. They're saying, "Hey, you're solving a business problem. Take multifamily, for instance. Okay, we're solving the housing pro- uh, housing problem." okay the government doesn't want to do it they're ineffective at doing it the investor is far more effective at doing it so they're going to give us depreciation accelerated depreciation right now 100% bonus depreciation they'll give us the 1031 exchange for us to continue to solve these problems and we as an investor get to take advantage of that okay legally legally defer our tax bill maybe indefinitely If we can pass these uh, assets down to our heirs, so we can build more multi generational wealth, that's a lot harder to do. I feel like in the stock market,
0: I can say without a doubt it really is because one, you're not going to get the same high returns. I know we talk a lot about real estate, like that's the primary example people use for syndications, and that's where most of your experience, that's where all of your experience really comes from, but. And it's the perfect example because on the stock market, we have these things called REITs. but And they're basically a real estate stock. However, they don't offer the same tax benefit as syndications. They don't offer the same returns. When you invest into a syndication, you're actually getting the returns from the real estate and not just the value of the company or how much their bottom line really is. You're getting the actual Return of that opportunity they made. You're on the ground floor.
1: It's like investing. Like it's like if it inv- uh, Apple said, "Hey, invest in iPhone 13 not just like invest in Apple as a company.
0: Honestly, that's probably the best way I've heard it explained. And it doesn't get more ground floor than this. And something else is that I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. It's what you said. You really you get to choose. You can kind of go with more of what va- values you hold or kind of what you want to get out of it
1: or both you can combine them both together
0: yes obviously doing both is a you want to do both you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket but that's the other thing I was going to mention is that you're much more likely to beat the stock market in real estate than you are to actually be investing in the stock market is most of those funds or mutual funds that say they're going to beat the market or beat the market, over the long run, they don't beat the market at all. And because of the higher fees they charge you, you are actually losing a lot more money. And that's the one other thing I want to say about the syndications versus, again, REITs, best example, is that on top of the the fees that the REIT itself charges, you have to pay a fee on those stocks themselves And then depending on your brokerage, you have to add on another layer of fees, killing your investment's return, your growth opportunities, and you're still not getting in those tax benefits. But like with a syndication, directly investing in syndication, you got a lot less fees and a lot more tax benefits.
1: And those fees in the stock market are taken no matter what the performance of the asset is. And you know, you know, an operator maybe in a PPM, like in a real estate, you know, um, you know, deal has the ability to take those fees too, right? To, you know, regardless of performance. But operators I invest with, and what we do at PassiveInvesting.com, you know, we create alignment with our partners, our limited partners, because they're exactly that—they're a partner in the deal. And, you know, if we're losing money, which we haven't, but I'm just saying hypothetically, we're not going to take a fee. Like, why would we take a fee? Like, oh, by the way. But in the stock market, that's, that's part of the game, right? You know, a lot of people, let's see, you know, I just recently did a talk at an accredited investor conference. You know, I can speak pretty you know, eloquently on this right now, is that the stock market year to date is eight, down 18%. Now, if you look at some of these portfolio, let's just say they invested in, you know, um, VTSAX or VTI ETF, like just the S&P 500. You know, those are the Vanguard um, symbols. Uh, But if they're invested in that, they're down 18% year to date. And they're probably paying an expense ratio just to be in that mutual fund or ETF of about 0.5%. Okay, 0.4 to 0.5%. Now, if that holding is within a 401k, there is going to be an administration fee that is charged, a fiduciary fee that's charged on top of that of about, you know, a, you know, right now the industry standard is one to one and a half percent. Now that may not seem like a lot, right? One percent, so what? I'm giving, you know, out of every hundred dollars, I'm giving, you know, you know, a dollar fifty to somebody else managing my, my money every month. May not seem that big of a deal, but when you compound that out over time, that is 33% of that portfolio lost to fees, and that's assuming that it earned 7% preferred or 7% return perfectly over 30 years. Now, I know somebody here is probably going, "Oh man, I do my own like portfolio, so I'm only paying the expense ratio fee." Guess what? You're losing 11%. So uh, it's still those fees do add up right? And so th- there are fees in real estate. I'm not saying they're not. I think what I like about real estate, especially passive investing is the fees are visible. They're tangible to you're not having to read the fine print and do the mental gymnastics afterwards, trying to figure out how much money am I going to make? You know, uh, an operator that is, a worthy operator is going to make that very easy for the, the partner, limited partner to understand. This is what you make net after everything. Do you want in or not?
0: I want to add something on top of the fees. Something The thing about syndications is they're much more, they're upfront about the fees. A lot of mutual funds are known to kind of hide those extra fees in the background. And you pay for a lot of things that really don't help your portfolio. There's a fee called Son of a gun. I was just reading this. It's a 12 b one 12B1 fee. Yes, 12 b one fee, And it's like you're paying an expense for their marketing, which is like, how why am I paying for that? And it doesn't help me make money. One of the reasons I am not a big fan of mutual funds at all, they will charge you for so many different things and you will never realize it.
1: And it's not perfor- aligned with performance. I think that's the key point. And I'm trying to drive home here is if I'm going to pay a fee, I want somebody performing for that fee. And I wanted, I wanted to be clear. I want it to be transparent and I want performance. And, um, that is my largest hang up <laughs> with the stock market. Now, full disclosure, I still have, I broke up with the, I broke up with the stock market fully. My husband still has a little bit, um, you know, he's just, like, I don't know, he likes getting kicked in the teeth this year. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, I have two shares of Berkshire Hathaway, so I can go see Warren Buffett. That's it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's smart. That's smart. I love these discussions about the fees, because it's something people just never think about. But the one other thing that kind of, with syndications, that sets them apart from a lot of other investments is that you know the people more clearly when who's in best, Who is running this project? Like you don't know who's in charge of your mutual fund, your portfolio. You never know that. But syndications have sponsors, the people who run the business, basically the CEO of the company. You have probably had to learn to kind of check these sponsors and really make sure you like them and can trust them. So, for those who are kind of new to this world, what tips do you have? them when kind of media new sponsor mm-hmm.
1: yeah so uh you know first of all i would kind of start with where are you finding the sponsors i my favorite way to find sponsors is to go to high quality real estate conferences it takes there's a level of there's a barrier there right to entry barrier to play um, now it doesn't mean just because the sponsor is there that they are great okay However, there's a barrier to play. So, you know, it does kind of, you know, maybe like separate the cream, you know, to the top, right? Now, um, also, for, but for me as a limited partner with limited time, right? That's one of the freedoms that I'm trying to get back as a limited partner. I can see, I can meet multiple people in one place and shake hands with them and look them in the eye and ask questions. So, you know, that's one of my favorite places. I ask that you know you can do online searches. You can join investor groups. You can ask other investors you know who they're investing with. There's a myriad of places, but no matter what, you need to have a you know do your own research on the company. Uh, are they in an the, in the investment strategy that you believe in? Do they are they investing in assets that the risk tolerance is okay for your portfolio? Are they going to meet your goals? Once you can kind of answer those questions for yourself. Now is the time to hop on the phone with that operator before you actually write a check because you need to know, like, and trust them. And, um, you know, join their, you know, if they have a weekly masterclass, like I do a weekly masterclass every Tuesday is 1 p.m. Mountain Time. People can join that for free. You know, join those. Uh, Maybe they're hosting investor dinners or meetups. Join those. Get Get to really know them, who they are as a person. And then, you know, hop on the phone with them. Ask questions. How long have you been in real estate? What's your background here? You know, is it just you, or are there multiple partners? I want to make sure that there's multiple partners in the business because heaven forbids, something happens to the one partner running the deal. Where's your deal after that, right? Um, it's called secession planning in business. All right, you, know, you want to have a backup to your backup to your backup plan. Right? So. There's that, you know, what is their background in business? Okay. Now people do have to start everywhere and that is fine. Just make sure somebody on that team has the knowledge and experience in real estate and business to, to warrant you handing over your hard earned money to them. Then you can start getting into like, what is their investment strategy? What are their ideal markets? Ask them, what are the business risks of you investing with them? Okay. I want to see how they answer this question. Are they just going to regurgitate the top five business risks that are on the PPM from the Securities and Exchange Commission? Are they going to... You're laughing. Guys, we're on video right now. He's laughing. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: no, it's true. It's the amount of times I have asked you, like, what's kind of the risk associated? And for those who don't know, like, I'm in the middle of taking serious licensing, which is the financial exams. And they will just say verbatim what the Security Exchange Commission says is business risk or is the risk. And it's like, I hear it so many times. I'm like, if you can't tell me the unique risk to your investment, you don't know it well enough. And if you don't know it well enough, I don't want to invest into it.
1: Yeah, like I want something to say beyond losing all your capital or suspended distributions, right? If you're talking about a self-storage deal, let's talk about like, you know, competitors within three miles, right? Like, I mean, let's get down to, you know, what brass tacks, like what about this business plan on this particular investment it could be challenging? And it's not to say that you as an investor won't invest. You just need to have all that information up front, right? What is their track record? Okay, uh, how many deals have they repositioned, gone through a supplemental loan on, or outright sold? What are, were the returns that they delivered compared to the pro forma? Um, you know, I, I want to see somebody conservative underwriting their pro So I've done over 10 investments personally with PassiveInvesting.com. The, you know, the IRRs on those were like somewhere between like 17 to 20%. Um, you know, these were more value-add deals. And, you know, but if they had presented to me a 25% IR, I, I, would, I would have been questioning that. But that is what we've been able to treat, achieve on our exits, which is amazing. So we want to see conservative underwriting. And then there's a ton of questions. I actually um, have a webinar that I did on um, how to screen a deal in 10 minutes. Now the webinar is not ten minutes long, shocker, more about a half an hour long. But I help you set up your own system for screening, you know, operators and deals. So you can kind of dig into those uh, minutia. But you want to understand who's on their team, like what is their background and experience. Who are you going to be working with as an investor throughout the duration of your relationship? You know, three, five, seven years.
0: So those listening, do what she is saying. Do what Wendy is suggesting. Ask questions some people you will meet are going to be type of the sale car salesman type people. And they're going to try to sell you on their deal and kind of give political answers and just kind of navigate around actually answering your questions. You have the right to ask those questions. They're not, it, there's no stupid questions. It's the hard earned money you have worked for and you want to make sure they're treating it like their own. So ask those questions. And then, Once you kind of find the answers you like to hear, make note of it and make sure to ask those. And from the sound of it, I highly suggest going to Whitney's webinar because the amount of times I have seen people invest into bad sponsors is so, in my opinion, sad because they just don't know how to investigate them or really look into them. And I think most bad deals are made by bad sponsors. And they can have the greatest deal in the world and still make it bad if they are a bad sponsor. Whitney, your thoughts on that?
1: I 100% agree. <laughs> uh, and here, uh, you know, to flip it on its head, a great sponsor can take a deal that you're kind of like, huh, really? You're buying that? And like, just knock it out of the park. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, it's really when you get down to this business, it's about the who you're investing with. Now... If anybody's been following me, they've heard me talk about this endlessly. But guys, read Robert Kiyosaki's second book, Cashflow Quadrant, and you'll see what I'm talking about. This is what the big boys do, the billionaires do, is that they have this whole process on how to um, make money through other people's businesses. And that's what you're doing in syndication. But it does mean you have to be a little bit more savvy about the questions to ask and how to bet.
0: And I just want to second that. That book revolutionized my whole way of thinking. I would say Robert Kiyosaki's first book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, the cliche for all real estate and investors was the first one, but that one really changed how I really thought about everything from my job to my investing and how even now as I started a new business, how I'm building that business. So again, I just want to emphasize and second that book. That's how much I love that book. Well, Whitney, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to say thank you for coming on the show and taking the time to come share your tips and tricks when it comes to investing in syndications. To everyone listening, I highly encourage you to go and listen to Whitney on other podcasts and to look at her resources on passiveinvesting.com or her personal blog, ashwealth.com. And thank you for listening to another episode of Niche Finance and hope everyone listening has another great week.